Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is the first episode of Food Week here at The Decibel. This week, we wanted to take a special look at food. It's what keeps us alive, and it's a big part of our culture, our religion, and our identities. We'll look at different aspects of food, from the economics of the potato. U.S. uh, manufacturers, processors are a little bit leery now of PEI potatoes. To how the war in Ukraine made global food insecurity worse. It's the catalyst or the trigger of the crisis. It's not the underlying cause of the food insecurity crisis. And we'll even take you into the kitchen, where I learned a new recipe. Are you ready to brown some chicken? Yes. All right. Let's brown some chicken. But to start, we'll kick it all off with the octopus. So when you just heard octopus there, did you think of Ursula from The Little Mermaid? Or that fascinating animal that you see at the aquarium? Or did you think, hmm, delicious? People around the world eat it. That's why the first octopus farm is soon set to open. But here's the catch. Scientists and philosophers say that farming these creatures would be a mistake, given how much we're learning about their intelligence. For example... The octopus was observed carrying two halves of a coconut shell as it left its den and went hunting. And when it got out to the hunting grounds, it covered itself with the two shells as protection. That's Aaron Anderson, a feature reporter for The Globe. The octopus had planned ahead. It had taken tools with it, used the tools strategically as a shield to protect it from sharks while it hunted. And that's often seen as like a sign of animal intelligence in the same way that, you know, we were so proud of ourselves when we learned how to create fire and use tools. Aaron's here to take us on a journey deep under the sea, where the octopus's wily ways just might get you wondering whether they should be food. This is The Decibel. Erin, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Before we get into this, I just have to say, Erin, I I love octopuses. I find them fascinating. I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, You may see already on video, you can see I've got an octopus mug here. I see uh, I know that. I can't see this, but I've got a mug with tentacles. Yeah. And this isn't even special for this interview. I drink out of this every day. So I, I am a fan. My bias is out there. Uh, but I'm wondering what got you interested in, in octopuses? You know, the story took me on a path that I was not expecting. Originally, the idea was to explore the controversy around octopus farming because there are plans in the works right now to create the world's first octopus farm. And I've been seeing scientists writing papers in fierce opposition to this plan and studies coming out about how this was not ethical or humane. Um, And so originally it was just going to be an ordinary feature. But once you start learning about the octopus, you realize how amazing and wonderful it is. And you really fall into this magical story of this creature that you you just weren't expecting. And so it evolved into a story that started to ask some really important questions. Yeah, as as you mentioned, 
a company in Spain is, is now working towards opening the first ever octopus farm. And until now, octopuses have always been hunted in the wild. Why are we seeing an interest in farming them now? And there's a big demand for, for octopus meat. The global octopus trade has doubled to $2.7 billion in the last 10 years alone. And there are concerns that pressure is being put on the wild stock. So the approach is instead of maybe applying more conservation to fishing wild octopus to find a new source of octopus. The farm itself is geared to create, I think it's about 3,000 tons of octopus a year. So that's actually a pretty small amount because the overall global octopus fishery is about 380,000 tons. But there are also a number of countries that are working to farm the octopus because it's a lucrative uh, resource. There are all sorts of people speaking out against octopus farms. There's scientists, philosophers, animal welfare activists. Why are they saying that octopus shouldn't be farmed? There's a pretty strong argument for not farming the octopus. First of all, they're very hard to raise in captivity. They're brilliant escape artists, so even keeping them contained is a huge challenge. They don't like to be close to each other. In fact, if you put an octopus with another octopus, one of those octopuses is likely to be eaten by the other octopus. They have really soft bodies that are easily injured. They're also carnivores. A lot of the animals that we, land animals that we farm are herbivores. So that means that because the octopus is a carnivore, we have to take food out of the ocean to feed an animal that we're farming, which raises other environmental concerns. And also there's no scientifically validated way for how to slaughter an octopus in large numbers. Even killing an, an octopus, we don't know how to kill it humanely and ethically. And so for all those reasons, scientists have raised the alarm. And then there's also this notion of the precautionary principle. Do we want to plow ahead and domesticate another wild animal without really thinking it through and knowing for sure what those consequences will be. Hmm. Part of the issue that you mentioned there is that there's there's no way to, to kill octopuses humanely at scale. For a long time, people thought invertebrates like octopuses and lobsters weren't really sentient. Uh, but a study at the London School of Economics is challenging that. What did that study find? The study at the London School of Economics is led by a philosopher named Jonathan Birch, and it's part of a multi-year project that they're doing to look at sentience in animals. The study actually looked at 300 studies that had done experiments or had observed the animals in the wild, and then they had different categories for how they ranked sentience. So like some of the things that really where the octopus score is high is that it's learned to navigate mazes. It can open a jar and take out food from inside mm -hmm. the jar, and it can remember how to open that jar even like weeks later. The main way that we test whether an animal is sentient traditionally has been by testing whether they feel pain. So for instance, they might wound an animal or cause an injury and then wait to see if the octopus, for instance, tends to that wound. Are they aware that they have an injury? The octopus conversation is arriving at this time where all these amazing discoveries are being made that really challenge our idea of what sentience is and what animals feel. And what the study found was that cephalopods, like the octopus, were 
very likely to be sentient. The octopus was basically the star of the study. On, on almost every test, it was found to be sentient. But even lobsters and crabs were found to have a level of sentience, that is that they could feel pain. And that's even led to this debate in the, in the UK about banning even boiling lobster in your kitchen, which I'm from out east. That's kind of a thing that, that we do as part of tradition. And so mm -hmm. that's a whole next level conversation that's happening. Because once we see invertebrates as sentient, then we, we don't just have to think about their conservation in the ocean, but we also have to think about how we treat them. Another reason we're, we're thinking about whether it's okay to eat or, or farm octopuses is because they seem to solve problems in a way that, that seems almost human. Uh, I know there was one octopus in particular who was quite daring, who was actually pulling off nighttime heists in his aquarium. Can you tell me that story, Erin? This was a story told to me by Jean McKinnon, who's a marine biologist in New Zealand. It's not the only story of an octopus pulling off a heist. Octopuses are brilliant escape artists. And for researchers studying them in labs, they spend a lot of time just trying to keep them in their tanks. The only hard part of their body is their beak and they can squeeze through the tiniest of spaces. In this case, the researchers noticed that the rock lobsters in a adjacent tank were disappearing. They would come in in the morning and there would be fewer rock lobsters than when they had left the night before. Hmm. And they were joking that maybe the, the students were taking them home to have like lobster boils, trying to figure out where the lobster were going. And one night a caretaker came in a bit early for their shift and they actually caught the octopus sneaking out of its tank and eating the rock lobster and then slipping back home with none the wiser. So the octopus had figured wow. out when to execute the heist, when nobody was in the lab, enjoy its tasty dinner, and then head back and be found looking innocent in the morning. Wow, that is such a crazy story. I mean, it, it, it seems like octopuses are, are really clever animals. Do we know how they evolved and, and how they got to be so intelligent? The octopus actually has a fascinating evolutionary path. Our last common ancestor between us and the octopus is 600 million years ago, which is way before the first dinosaur showed up. And it was a, a very primitive worm-like creature. And from that point, the octopus branches off and goes completely on its different path, evolves differently in a different earth than the one we know in the deep of the ocean. And that is why scientists so often talk about the octopus as the closest will come to meeting alien intelligence. We're talking about not farming octopus here, Erin, not, not eating octopus. Uh, but of course, this raises a bunch of other questions about what other animals we shouldn't be eating. Should we be eating animals at all? And if we're talking about not eating octopus, then, you know, and then we go out for a nice steak, that seems kind of hypocritical. So how are we supposed to reconcile this? I think that's a question that I'm really asking myself as well after after researching and studying the octopus. I would never eat an octopus now after learning so much about it, but I still enjoy a steak. So why the octopus and not the cow? And I actually went to an anthropologist at the University of Toronto and I asked her, Nasgari Dave, I asked her, how do I reconcile this? And she talks about the tyranny of certainty. If all our decisions have to be perfect, then sometimes we end up making no decision at all. So what she proposed 
is that you start with not eating the octopus and see what ideology develops from there. And I can see that already happening in myself. Like, I'm just not eating as much meat. I'm really conflicted about the lobster. So I feel that I'm on the path that she talked about. I don't know where that will go, but I think we have to feel okay if that ethical journey isn't perfect. Are there other animals in the past that we have stopped eating? I think one of the interesting animals is the ortolan, which is this uh, very delicate songbird that was part of French cuisine. People who watch Succession may remember that in the first season, Tom took Cousin Greg to a restaurant to show how the wealthy lived and they ate the ortolan. How you eat mm -hmm. it is it's, it's drowned in kind of like a brandy and then roasted and you eat it whole under a handkerchief. And there are lots of different theories of why that is, because it keeps the aroma, because it's very messy, because it's a delicate boned bird. And also because maybe mm -hmm. God shouldn't see you eating such a magical creature. So in, in 1999, wow. France actually banned eating the Ortolan. And even so, the stock of the Ortolan has continued to depreciate because of the black market that still exists. So, I mean, I guess the Ortolan is just really an example of how our tastes and interests of trying to eat something that's that's really different can go so wrong and be so horrible. And increasingly, people are feeling that way about the octopus, especially when you see, you know, a real octopus tentacle sitting on your plate. I think it's interesting that you say like the octopus tentacle sitting on your plate, right? There's something very different about seeing that as opposed to a steak or a pork chop where it's in a different form than we recognize the animal, right? No, and I think that's also maybe why the octopus has become such a conversation point around eating because there's no distance. By the time the steak gets your to your plate, you've gone to the grocery store, you're so far away from the cow. And we can live with what researchers call the meat paradox, where we love animals, but we still eat them. But the octopus makes it very hard to live in that paradox because it is so clear it's so clear that you're eating an octopus on your plate. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point. And I think when people think of octopus these days, like one of the things that's in popular culture now about this animal is is the documentary My Octopus Teacher, uh, which which came out in 2020. And there's a story in the film about scientists who found a brooding octopus. Um, and and you actually spoke to one of those scientists, Aaron. Can you tell us what they saw? This story was told to me by Bruce Robertson, who's the senior scientist at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Center. One day, they're out in their boat doing research, and they discover a big sea octopus attached to a rock outcropping who had just laid her eggs, laid 150 of her eggs, and she was brooding her eggs. And they knew that she hadn't been there weeks before because they'd been to the same spot. So it was just this serendipitous discovery. And they decided that they were going to go back regularly and see how she was doing and just track the brooding period because we're still learning so much about the octopus. We don't, we don't really know. And every octopus, every species of octopus is different. And they would go down week after week, month after month. And she is still there hanging off the rock cropping, 
protecting your eggs, cleaning them off, making sure they get oxygen. And over time, the scientists start to get really attached to the octopus. They're wondering how she's doing when they're on shore. I think one trip they came down and she was surrounded by crabs trying to get at her eggs and trying to eat her. And they had to leave. And the whole time on the trip, they're wondering, how did she? was she okay? They come back and the crabs are strewn all around her and her eggs are still safe. She, so she fought off all the crabs then? She fought off all the crabs. This is one fierce Fierce mom. They nicknamed her the Octomom. <laughs> so this goes on for weeks, months, years, years that she's just hanging wow. there. They, they see no indication that she goes off to eat, no indication that she's ever leaving her eggs. And over time, they can start to see that her skin is getting looser. Her, her eyes are getting more milky. She's obviously, she's obviously dying, but they keep coming back each time wondering if that's going to be the time when she's not there anymore. So at four years and five months, they return to the site and the eggs have hatched. Octomom isn't there. And Dr. Robinson Mm -hmm. said to me, you know, it was almost a relief that she had finished this job. But think about how amazing this is. We had no idea before they found her that any animal brooded for four years and five months. Dr. Robinson's team found her by basically tossing a camera into the ocean. And there she was. It was luck. We wouldn't even have known about her if that hadn't happened. And so that goes back to asking ourselves what else we don't know. And if we don't know, shouldn't we move forward with the precautionary principle, with the aim to do as little harm as we can so that years from now, we don't wake up and say, what a mistake we made farming the octopus. So, Erin, I wonder, after all the reporting that you've done on, on octopuses, what do you think that, that they have to teach us about ourselves? I mean, the octopus poses a lot of big questions. And not just me, but a lot of people. I heard from readers who said that they had stopped eating the octopus. They talked about meeting an octopus and the way the octopus watched them. And that's why I think the octopus is so fascinating because it debunks a lot of our stereotypes about animals. It forces us to think about how we use them to our own means. And it also poses the question that what else don't we know about animals? I mean, we're still learning. They're still finding new octopus species. So certainly one of the points that scientists make is that we're still discovering the octopus. The octopus is still revealing itself to us, like, to be honest, a lot of the animal world. And so it becomes kind of beholden on us humans at the top of the the animal pile to ask Are our choices sustainable? Are we treating animals ethically? And, you know, I think it's also fascinating that here's the octopus, which is this slimy sea creature. We can't cuddle it. It doesn't live in our homes. And it is forcing these these bigger, larger questions. Like it's, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Erin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, well, I love talking about the octopus. So thank you. That's it for today. But before I let you go, let me know what you think of Food Week. You can reach me on Twitter at M-E-N-A-K-A-R-W. Or you can always email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Michal Stein produced this episode. Zaro Kuzema is our summer producer. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. 
Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.